Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, folks. We're joined by Tan Trung, WWL multimedia journalist, wherein he has released his most recent podcast telling the story about a restaurateur and the trials and tribulations of running a restaurant and understanding how difficult that is. But when it extends to procuring basic utilities it may have pushed him over the edge ton welcome to the show no happy friday thanks for having me on thank you for joining us sir um interesting story it was reported on about eric cook the owner of saint john restaurant as well as grigri um difficult times just simply getting basic utilities yeah, and, you know, the, the story extends back to 2021 and in, in the summer of 2021 when he opened St. John, which is a restaurant in the French Quarter on Decatur Street. And uh, as you probably know, and many people know, obviously the French Quarter is a historic district, but its infrastructure is also historic. It's very old. And what happened to him was that when he moved into that location, he tried to work with Entergy New Orleans to basically say, hey, we are now in the building and we're now occupying it. So we're going to be the people that will get the bills. But according to Eric, they didn't get a bill for almost a year. So they moved in July of 2021, and then they didn't get a bill until December of 2022. And as he describes it, when they got that bill, it it was enormous, and it eventually racked up to $40,000. And that's where the podcast really starts. But I think you know, what I would try to do is that it's not just one particular restaurant and restaurateur. Uh, This is a, a problem that many people, residential folks, uh, who have mighty, mighty problems trying to get through to Entergy New Orleans to understand and then dispute their bills. And that's more at the core of the story. As you were interviewing a, a multitude of guests that, that you present in the podcast, were you surprised that that this has become so difficult? I mean, you know, we, I grew up in this city. I mean, I probably have requested at least a dozen times basic services moving from apartment to apartment home to home um that this should just be kind of matter of fact right yeah and and personally speaking i've never had an issue with energy or energy new orleans you know when i've rented and and moved and and sold homes so on and so forth but you know obviously we, we don't live in a bubble and from I spoke with the Alliance for Affordable Energy. This is an issue that many people have had, especially in the past few years, as we've seen uh, the rates on utilities go up and people's ability to pay uh, hasn't really changed. And for this particular situation, though, I think that 
you know, we have to kind of zero in on, on where this is taking place, and that's in the French Quarter. And it can be confusing because you have a multitude of restaurateurs, business owners that, that change in these buildings, and they're very old, and the infrastructure is very old. So something as simple as trying to find the right meter for the correct building uh, may not be so straightforward. And, and what Eric Cook really wanted to point out, too, is that there's there's a big frustration with many small business owners in trying to work with City Hall and getting the correct permits, especially working in the French Quarter, to, to get up and running. So there's a whole kind of um, multitude and mix of, of issues that come together, and it came to a head for him when he tried to figure out a way to pay this $40,000 bill, and he's still going through it. Uh, but as Eric points out, he got preferential treatment and this is really part of his messaging here. It's not just about, hey, look at this outrageous $40,000 power bill. Um, it's the way things work in New Orleans, or in more specifically in his case, in his view, how New Orleans doesn't work uh, for many residents in New Orleans. I, I, was, I was moved when he's – because you don't hear many people say this, right? And, and, and he knew that he was mm-hmm. having difficulty, and then he made it public, and he said, this only happened for me because of my privilege. Because people oh, know me, they know my they know my restaurants, they frequent my restaurants, they know me. This doesn't get the attention that it's getting, nor does it get to the resolution in the time period that it has, only because of my privilege. And I love what he said. Yeah. Thank you, but <laughs> you know, yeah, he, yeah, the, yeah. He said thank you, but you're wrong for that. And and right. to to give people an idea of what happened is that. You know, ultimately, he, the Entergy New Orleans sent him the, the power bill and gave him uh, several days to pay it off in full. So it was a $40,000 utility bill that he had to pay off. And they said, if you don't pay this off in full, the power to St. John, his restaurant in the French Quarter is going to be cut off. Well, it was eventually cut off. And then he raised a lot of hell. Um, he got on TV, on social media, and it got the attention of the, the city council. The city council worked with Eric Cook to get a meeting with Entergy New Orleans. They sat at the table, and eventually they're now in the process. And I spoke with uh, a spokesperson for Entergy New Orleans. They sent me a statement that said they're trying to work out the details to figure out a repayment plan for Eric Cook, and they're trying to work with any customers that would do so. But according to Eric Cook, he says, look, uh, I was able to do this because I have a large platform. I raised a lot of hell. I'm a business owner in the French Quarter, and I was able to get the attention of the city council. Well, you know, if you look at the majority of people who can't pay their bills or have frustrations in the city of New Orleans, you know, their lower income, um, their ability to get on a platform, get on television. And I don't I don't absolve myself from this either. You know, the reason why, obviously, I, this caught my attention was it was a restaurateur. It was a $40,000 bill. And what Eric Cook is pointing out is, you know, you have a lot of people that don't have this ability, don't have the money, and don't have the access as he does. And they're, in many ways, SOL when it comes to getting some type of resolution for their bill. Uh, and that's really what I wanted to touch on in, in this podcast as well, is that it's not just this restaurateur. Something as simple as getting our power bills paid off or disputing a power bill, we should just be able to call customer service. That doesn't always happen. And that's something that's very commonplace in New Orleans. When you talk to the gentleman from the uh, alliance, uh, he made some observations that were mm-hmm. very uh, interesting as to the percentage of household income that is spent 
on utility bills, um, it, it's a burden in many cases. That en- that energy burden, as he relates, it refers to it. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I think that 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 gives us a glimpse. And I think for people outside of New Orleans, that gives uh, a, a very harsh and sobering understanding of what life can be like in New Orleans. You know, I think it's easy for many folks to come to visit New Orleans to, and, and obviously we, we love it when they do, um, to spend their money and to kind of see the beautiful places in New Orleans. But the reality is, as Jesse George from the Alliance for Affordable Energy told me, many folks in New Orleans spend almost 28% of their household income trying to pay off their utility bill. Uh, and, you know, when we've had these uh, heat waves that we had in, in the past summer, We've had many, several moratoria from Entergy New Orleans and the city council pleading with Entergy New Orleans to, to stop power shutoffs to people who can't pay. You know, that, that is a sobering reminder of what real life is like in New Orleans. You know, it's, it's, it's perfectly fine to celebrate New Orleans and its culture, but we have to face the reality that many people are living, you know, barely living paycheck to paycheck. And that's what Eric Cook really wanted to bring attention to too as well. And I, for me, Newell, I, I thought it was fascinating, and my my family had a restaurant as well. But he said, "Look, many people here in the New Orleans in the restaurant industry, it's all smoke and mirrors. You know, we put on this facade of, you know, great success and things are growing, going well. But he said, I'm like everybody else. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And when you start peeling back these layers of what this story is really about, it's really about living and working in New Orleans and how difficult it can be. Yeah." And and it's not it wasn't for lack of effort because the the, the gentleman from the alliance said this as as well that residents uh, persistently try to resolve it from you know not getting bills to getting incorrect bills and in Eric's case it's not like he just sat back and just waited he actually had contacted um, the utility many times trying to trying to figure out where's my bill why am I not getting a bill how's this working and alike right. Oh, absolutely. He said that it's been really a two-year saga uh, since they opened in July of 2021. And now, obviously, we're in November of 2023, and it came to a head November 1st when he got that, ultimately, that final bill to say, you know, pay this or your power is going to get cut off. Uh, But as Jesse George for the Alliance Affordable Energy told me, you know, the, the challenge with many for many folks in New Orleans is that if you're going to dispute your power bill because the New Orleans City Council is the body that regulates energy in New Orleans, it has to come to a point where you get a, what they call a letter of disposition um, that basically says, you know, this case, your case uh, is unsatisfactory in terms of settling with energy New Orleans. You now need to bring it to the New Orleans City Council, which regulates energy New Orleans. Uh, to move ahead to take the next step to dispute it. Well, Jesse George says, tell me where you can find that that uh, area of the city website that you can file a, a dispute. But he says most times you can't even get somebody on the phone at Entergy New Orleans to get to the point to get that letter to then send to New Orleans City Council to ultimately start the process of disputing your bill. So, you know, if you're not someone with a large platform, if you're not someone of status, as Eric Cook points out, it's very difficult, uh, almost impossible for you to get some type of resolution. I think that's the frustration that many people in New Orleans feel. I got a text here, and you got to almost chuckle. It says, how can energy turn off his power but not know which meter is for his building? Well, that was the whole point. Once they figured out the meter, 
that's when that's when the whole house of cards came tumbling down, right? They they sent them a yeah. demand note, and they, and now they had now they, they they had empowered themselves to be able to turn off the power because they actually knew where well, the meter was. Yeah, and, and to and to, and to the, the the kind listener who who sent the text, I, I will say that there's even a, a, another wrinkle in that is that when it came time, the day came to turn off the power. Eric Cook says when they came to turn off the power, they couldn't turn off the power. They had to come back the next day to do it. So, I mean, it, you know, that that's the challenge that, that we have. And, you know, it's, in fairness to Amsterdam New Orleans and, and everybody that works in the French Quarter, it's it's it can be this, you know, hodgepodge and maze of infrastructure and wires crisscross, uh, as Eric Cook described it to me, that it's not so easy. Um, but, again, it, it's, you know, I, I, it is almost laughable that when you go, when you threaten to turn off the power and then you go to turn off the power and you can't, I think that's, that says a lot about the situation, you know, and what many small business owners and residents in, in New Orleans, specifically the French Quarter, are dealing with. I'm glad you pointed that out about, in fairness to Antigy New Orleans or Antigy or anyone else, because all of this is complex. And whenever oh, they yeah. uh, are, co- are compelled to provide a remediation, Typically, what it leads to is a power disruption, right? Because they just can't, like, run extension cords from point A to point B. If they're going to move something, somebody's power is being turned off, and it's typically more than the individuals having the problem. It's a lot of other people. And when you're in a business corridor like that, it makes it even more um, troublesome and tenuous uh, to really start peeling away the layers of all of this. Right. And I, absolutely. I yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I want to be clear, too, that the, there's a stipulation with uh, this particular case with Eric Cook. Energy New Orleans, you know, told the newspaper that, that, you know, they can't really discuss the specifics of this because Eric Cook has to basically give permission for Energy New Orleans to kind of give their side of the story. That necessarily hasn't happened. So we're only getting a, a part of the story. Eric Cook's take on it. I did reach out to Energy New Orleans to get responses but again, you know, it's not the full. I didn't get a sit-down interview with somebody from Entergy New Orleans. Uh, I would certainly welcome that. But I want to point out that you know this is just one half of the story. But as Eric Cook pointed out to me as well, you know, I think some of what's happening in New Orleans, especially in the French Quarter, could be contributing to the confusion because he says because it's so hard sometimes to work with City Hall to get your permits. Uh, and because the infrastructure is so old in, in the French Quarter, sometimes it's like sometimes you just throw up wires and, and you go because you don't want to wait. you got a business to run and you keep going. So, you know, if the people are not, the businesses are not kind of adhering to some of the licenses and some of the permits. So once Entergy comes in there and they're trying to figure it out and, you know, things aren't done appropriately, you know, that just adds to the confusion that what we're, you know, and what we're seeing right now. It's a great podcast, and I love the way he summed it up. I forgot how your lead-in to it was, but he basically said, there's no one in charge in New Orleans. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, okay. Uh, you know, he said, well, you know, he says, and, and, and the, you know, I, I, I feel even bad because you and I, like, we, we do see the, the, the comedy in all of this, but he said, you know, I'm also sick and tired of this. Like, we, we, yeah, we yeah. almost laugh because it's, it's, it is laughable, but he says, I'm sick and tired of this and it's not funny anymore. And he says, you know, and the problem is, is that we need somebody to step up and say, I'm in charge. And he says, you know, who's in charge? No one. Yeah. That says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Sums it up. 
Tontron, as always, great job, uh, great work. We really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday season. Thank you, Newell. All righty. That's Ton Trunk, WWL multimedia journalist. You can find that. Ton, you still with me? Where can we find that? Yeah, they can find they can find the podcast wherever they get their podcast. That's the Ton Report, T-H-A-N-H Report. Just search for it in your podcast platforms, and you'll see my loving face popping up there, hopefully. There you go. The Ton Report by Ton Trunk. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back, folks. You recall we talked about the other day the Tata Say case, um, who was awaiting trial for the shooting of Noah Hansard. Uh, Tata Say received a $175,000 bond for attempted first-degree murder. His family was able to bond him out. One of the conditions was that he was put on electronic monitoring. Uh, Tata actually cut the monitor off, and then all of the wheels, the way that they are supposed to work, started working where the notifications were made through the process. And thankfully... The U.S. Marshals Violent Crime Task Force in a very short period of time and also with the benefit of the family cooperating as well as um, the electronic monitoring company. He was back behind bars in a very short period of time. One of my criticisms was simply that $175,000 bond for a first attempt first degree murder, in my view, was low and um, here to talk about this as well as some other issues, Matthew Dennis, founder and director of enforcement with uh, ASAPrelease.org. Matt, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so, Matt, I think I summed it up. Um, I, I hope if I said anything incorrect, let me know um, that, you know, everything kind of worked as it related to the ankle monitor, the notices being put out and, and all of the information flow and in a short period of time they were able to get Tata say behind bars again. Yeah, I can, I can say that I mean, everything you said was accurate. It, it was quick. It was efficient. Um, and it started with the judge. It started with a judge that's very proactive that the moment she knew what was happening, she got involved right away. She issued the, the warrant quickly. She was able to effectively give us that warrant at exactly 12.01 in the afternoon. Uh, we got we were able to get that to the 
Violent Crime Task Force, as well as the information we had gathered when we sent our agents to the house to retrieve the equipment. So there was just a lot of moving parts that took place between 5.30 in the morning and 12.01, where we were able to effectively hand it off to the task force, and they finished it up by 4 o'clock the next morning. And, you know, the victim was the very first person that was notified. Once it got outside of our box, we were able to get it to the DA. The DA was able to get to the victim. Uh, Our thing at this point is there's some fine-tuning that could be done um, that would have made it even easier and more efficient because we have a process that's called a Victim Protection Program, which has a FOB that um, links to a defendant's ankle monitor. Had I had that with this gentleman, this victim in in Tata Say's case, I would not have needed to go through the DA to get to him because I would have been protecting them anyway with their own mobile electronic device. So anywhere the family goes or the victim goes, the protection goes, as well as their home, their work, their school, and all their fixed locations. So I had to go an extra step, which just slows you down a little. Six months ago, that would have been a huge step because getting through the DA's office was very difficult, but not anymore. The DA, I'm going to I'm going to give kudos where they belong. The sheriff has made and huge strides. And you should. Go ahead. The, the DA, the sheriff has done things like help accommodate the extra space to make sure no one else escapes from the jail lobby. She's done things like make sure that we get an up-to-date list every day of the people that should be coming out so we can help them finalize that step. They worked with us with an old problem, which it's difficult for a person to go back to jail. You have a warrant. You know how that goes because you're a sheriff. But then you also have this thing called a bond surrender where a bondsman can surrender the person. The problem with the bond surrender in this matter, in a case like this, is if somebody's doing wrong on ankle monitor, the judge might want them in jail, but they only want them there for a few days, a week, a month, whatever. And they don't necessarily want to make them do bond all over. They want to put them back in supervision without you know, bringing down the house. So you need the sheriff to take that person on that warrant. So there's a lot of pieces that have to move together. If we would have had the victim five at the beginning, we had the defendant. We were we were supervising the person, Tata Say. But we didn't have a victim fob with the victim. The victim should have known there was one because that makes a lot of victims feel safer when they know that even if they're at the mall or at the Walmart or so, wherever, so how they're does being the, protected. How does, the, how, how does the fob work? Describe it for the audience. Well, there's a couple of different options. We have multiple types of ankle monitors, some more secure, some less. Depends on the type of person coming in and the the nature. But victim protection is another device. Now, in a lot of cases, it's an actual another ankle monitor that without a strap that a person could carry in their purse, their car, whatever. And it links to the person who we're supervising, the offender, the defendant that links to their device. So if they get anywhere near them, alarms go off, and we instantly react with our enforcement team. We instantly react with local PD, sheriff, whoever. And we also interact directly with the victim calling, saying, hey, look, he's in your area. Get out of there or hide or whatever. We got people coming. Okay, so it's an all interactive process, and it can be done with a special device that's extra, or now a lot of the equipment providers are moving to a phone app based where our ankle monitor connects to a phone app on the person's phone. 
And without going too deep, you have issues. You don't really want a siren going off with a victim's phone if the guy's breaching the zone because then that tells the guy where she's at. So with your cell phone, you could have different ways of communicating with them that an ankle monitor, you know, doesn't give you. I I don't have a way to reach out to a victim carrying a digital fob. It's just a big plastic thing, you know. But if it was connected to their phone, I could send them a text, and they can text back and stuff like that so we can – we can talk to them. So I think that answers and your question. And the, beauty, the, the, beauty, the beauty of that system is that it's a 24-7 system. It's hard to find people at midnight, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, right? Uh, and it may take some time, especially in, in domestic violence cases. It would seem to me that this would be incredible technology uh, because if there's been a history of violence and a recent history of violence and um you know, that, that things could go bad. And as we get into more jail overcrowding conditions, uh, there are people that are going to get out of jail that we don't necessarily really want them to get out of jail, but it's just, it's a reality, right? Yeah, we, you know, Orleans around Katrina had 7,000-ish beds in their jail. They got 1,280 now. They There's the crime the way it is. We need to make sure that the capacity of our jail is being used properly, that it's not full of people stuck on probation holds that are going to be there for eight, nine, ten months just to have the case thrown out and their probation hold lifted. If, you're, if, you, if they need to be screened to where only the best of the best stay in the brick-and-mortar jail, or we need to add more jail. But it's not just a matter of space. You don't have the manpower. And if you don't, and the reason you don't have the space and the manpower is because you don't have the funding. So there's no answer in building bigger jails or adding more deputies that I can see. But if you use this digital jail platform properly, if you don't attach it to arrest powers, then why are they putting ankle monitors on? I agree that the bail bonds industry needed tremendous change, and it changed. Mm-hmm. Bail bonds doesn't just make people go to court. Now it's the bail power that's making these people stay home, stay away, stay in school, stay, you know. When a girl, when a man pulls up in front of a woman's house and he runs up to her and punches her in the face and steals her baby, we have him in jail four hours later. Okay, and that's the right. the biggest thing that's working right now, Newell, the things that need to get fixed, Jefferson. We have the ability to take any crime that has occurred on any location. You tell me the corner of 1st and 2nd Street, and I can tell you if an ankle monitor was there. And I'm going to tell you how often this happens. The old way of, of this was get out of jail, commit a crime, 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 get caught. And you didn't get caught because you were committing all those crimes. You just got caught once. They didn't even connect you to any of those crimes. Now, if you get out and commit a crime, you get caught. We just reviewed 1,460 cold cases from January of this year to August of this year, gun violence crimes in Orleans Parish. We gave them 150 solid leads. They're going to solve 30 crimes. These are gun violence crimes. This should be done by every jurisdiction every single day, and we do it for free. We run this data for local law enforcement free. Any single person, any listener out there that knows someone on an ankle monitor, if you commit a crime wearing an ankle monitor, I want you caught. I want you caught that day. And we're going to help get it as close to that as possible. What happened in the jail last evening? There was an inmate that rolled out, was supposed to get on electronic monitoring. Was that just simply a mistake, an oversight? We have incomplete communication processes. We need, I I sent a letter to your producer. I would hope you take a look at it. It has some solutions written into it. It's super simple. It's super simple. We need to have 
a working group in Orleans. Everybody's their own kingdom. Nobody works together. They all just kind of throw out their own rules, and we got to kind of maneuver between them. But we've kind of defined a lot of it. When when the magistrate court does their hearings and they send people to ankle monitor, a master list needs to go over to the jail. And the master list, we get a master list from the jail. But it's the jail's understanding through bail orders. So there's just a matter of a few steps where the, the, the clerk of court could send a list to the jail. The jail could then have a proper up-to-date list of everybody ordered that day. Then we take that list like we do now and start processing each one out. There was no list from magistrate court. And for whatever reason, they missed this person at the receiving end into the jail. That way, when it processed all the way out, nobody caught that there was a bail order in place that said ankle monitoring. This is just there is no direct connection from the magistrate court to the clerk to the sheriff to us. And that's what's broken. Now, we've done a really good job creating a connection with the sheriff. It's the court part that has to happen. And that's a whole different kingdom. And you have to go through clerks and judicial administrators and individual judges. And and that's a lot more difficult. And that's where we are. We need to fix the communication breakdown. I assume what you're saying is that none of this is being done electronically, right? A hundred percent of what we do is uh, is being done electronically, and we have the no, ability. I'm talking to about convert. the communi- the communication between no. the sheriff and the court, is in particular magistrate. Um, there, there's not like a case management system. I know there's been a lot of talk. I know the sheriff wants to embark upon that endeavor, and I think it was in her budget presentation before the council. But that's where the breakdown is, where magistrate court, if they had a case management system that they had access to, they that case is created and they can put in there electronic monitor, right? Yeah, they and have – yes. Right now they have an old system. It's really old, the docket master system. But you can't use that for the court order, okay? And that's where a lot of confusion was. I'm the last person that got released – some of the judges are putting it in the docket master. The The process is simple. It has to be a bail order. The judge does a bail order. Unfortunately, theirs is all paper-driven, so you don't have an electronic way, like you're saying, to transfer that bail order electronically over to the jail. Once, So they're delivering Matt, a physical Matt, piece let me, of paper. Let me, let, me, let me stop you there because I have just a few more moments. But yep. you, you, I've known you for years, and yes. since I've been on radio, you and I have talked about this at least a dozen times. Why can't this get fixed? I mean, this is not rocket science. It's fairly low-hanging fruit, right? Yeah, actually, there's a lot of technology upgrades that need to happen in New Orleans. You can't really sit and wait for that to happen. In the meantime, we've actually created a fix. It's in that letter to you. It can be. It's a super simple fix. It's just one more set of notice. Send me one more set of notice, and I can compare the two and say, hey, Sheriff, you're missing this one. Mag Court said you got this guy, and the Sheriff will go, oh, yep, there it is. It was just that simple. Here's the thing that's getting in the way. We need a public-private partnership. We can provide this solution to all the bail bonds people. We don't need anybody to help with that. But there's a whole group of people in that jail that's clogging the system. The wrong people are getting let out. Some of the wrong people are being kept in. 
a group, a public-private partnership between us and our community would bring in oversight, and it would define all of these rules, and you could streamline all of these errors. And that's all that needs to happen. Once we solve that, we're done. We have to – this program has been operating in the city for a decade. It's flawless. It's protecting people. It's fast. It's efficient. I'm under the microscope of Raphael and the Metropolitan Crime Commission uh, voluntarily. I'm under the microscope of the media voluntarily. My rules have always been the same. There's no preconditions. My door is open. Bring your own tech. They can sit down at our computers and study it. We want to continue to provide the service as free as possible to our community. But we need to sit as a team and stop these silly little mistakes. Stop that, no, by the way, is an example of how it works. No, no, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Uh, my problem, and I think you would agree, an attempt first-degree murderer doesn't get that bond in most places in the state of Louisiana. It's most places reality. that are like New Orleans and the size of New Orleans with the crime rate of New Orleans don't have a 1,280-bed jail based on feel-good. They needed, they needed a smaller jail, but they did not need one this small, and now they're crippled, and they don't have any more deterrence. So we're forced by old rules to hold probationers. We have a massive mental health illness problem. We have a juvenile problem, and those the probationers can get out and go to work by law and pay for their own ankle monitors. The mental health and the juveniles can't. We have to sit down and solve all of the problems so we can make a 1,284-bed jail work. Until then, you're going to be letting people, I'm sorry, I wish it was different, but my community needs to understand that bond was extremely high for New Orleans standards. 20 years ago, an armed robbery was 150 by nature, but they changed all that with bail reform. Okay, with the elimination of the ability for NOPD to arrest misdemeanors and with the shrinking of the jail, you've tied the hands of the criminal justice system behind their back. This system actually frees you up a little bit because but my you, jail you has limited to, capacity. But you have to admit, Dennis, that when you have an attempt first degree murder where the victim is probably paralyzed for life. You're not going to find a $175,000 bond in most parishes in the state of Louisiana. You're just not. It, it doesn't work well, that way. Well, I'm going to be honest. We, we put a guy uh, by the last name of Thompson in jail 10 days ago in Jefferson Parish. His bond was set at a half a million dollars, and he's a massive gangster, and he's very dangerous to our community. We put him in jail because he was a danger on the ankle monitor, and Jefferson Parish let him sign himself out three days later. So we actually do see this everywhere. I want you to, see, I, I want you to, I, I want you to send me I'll the name of the that individual. Details. I'll send you the rest when we're not on the air, and I'll give you all of the details. I'll get with your producer and make sure he has those details. But, Newell, it's happening in St. Tammany. It's happening. In every, it's, unfortunately, it's happening everywhere because of a lot of different reasons, bail reforms, activism against police and defunding and many it's not just one side it's both sides both sides have created havoc with risk assessments and people that didn't really assess what was being put in place and now we're paying for it but uh we have to find answers and if they want to build jails i'm all for it they won't need me because you'll be able to keep people in the jail but right now we don't have that option and we don't even if we did we can't man it so we have to do something and i don't believe anybody should be on an ankle monitor unless the person watching them can arrest them and you're aware of my background we can arrest every one of them 
Okay, and that's what it should be. This is this is how the public works with our government. We work together, and we need to finish this. We need to finish this and stop the stupid little mistakes. We will get you back on. I want you to send me that name. I want I want to know who the judge was that released that individual back out of that jail. We'll be right back, folks. Matt Dennis, founder and director of enforcement, ASAPRelease.org. We st- will be right back. Stay with us. Thank you, Matt. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. On a text line, please, Sheriff, we'd love to hear your opinion whether we need more jails or not. What do you think the solution should be? Because the criminals have no intent of joining our society, and I know that you see the writing on the walls. Part of the problem is is that we never approach this from an evidence-based perspective. How we ended up with 1,200 uh, jail beds uh, being the optimal number in the city of New Orleans is beyond me. I don't know that we looked at a 10-year study of the amount of felony arrests that are made by the NOPD. I can tell you they make a lot of them. At one time, the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office was making roughly 29,000 felony arrests a year. During that same period of time, the NOPD was making 33 to 34,000 felony arrests a year. Back that into a jail of... Um, a thousand or eleven hundred let's say typically a jail turns its population over somewhere between seven to nine times a year the system is designed that everyone is clicking on all cylinders the court the jail the arrest everyone and that's how you turn that population over so a thousand is typically going to support holding individuals while awaiting to go to trial of roughly seven thousand in a year, but you're making 34,000 felony arrests. So you have to begin to prioritize who stays in, who stays out. That's what Matt Dennis was saying in so many words. And then you look at alternatives to incarceration to better manage the jail population. Do I believe that the 1,200 is an optimal number to be able to manage this felony arrest rate that historically has been high in throughout the parishes here in the south in southeast louisiana no no and that's why there are a lot of mistakes made that's why there's a lot of pressure when you're running and operating a facility at full capacity all the time uh, it is difficult i said that in in my conversations with sheriff hudson we are not a social program 
A jail is a short-term incarcerated facility waiting for individuals to go to trial, found guilty or not guilty, not guilty. They get out guilty, they go to the state system. And that's where you should find these programs. We should not have people in our jails, really, on the outside of the fringes longer than two years. If everyone is doing what they're supposed to do in the system. Unfortunately, that's not the case in the state. And in many cases, it continues to get worse, not better. And that's why you're seeing the underbelly of the system revealing itself. And it's ugly. It's not pretty. And then you add to it, defund, reimagine. I'm going to talk about this in the back half of the next hour some more of what's actually happening here. We're on a path that's not a good path to be on. And folks really do need to come together because not one independent elected official can change this. We'll be right back. Folks, when we come back after the top of the news break, we'll visit with the lieutenant governor of the great state of Louisiana, Billy Nungesser. They will be participating again in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and we'll also talk about litter abatement in our state. Stay tuned. We'll be with the lieutenant governor when we come back. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com. 